On this episode, I sit down with Leonard Steinberg, who is the chief evangelist and corporate broker at Compass. With over a quarter century of experience in the industry, he shares his secrets. Today, we will discuss why consistency is king when it comes to putting out his newsletter that reaches over 44,000 realtors every single day. We also talk about the misconception around the luxury market and why putting your work out there is more important than putting your work out perfect. As well, we will discuss the one thing new agents can do to speed up their success. Now, before we get started, let's help you stay connected to top performing realtors across the nation. All you need to do is hit that subscribe button now. And without further ado, I'm your host, Sean Conkler. Leonard, thank you for joining me today, my friend. Nice to be with you. So I have a really small bone to pick with you. I've heard you say that New York City is the greatest city in the world. And being from San Francisco, I just, it's a little inflaming. And I just have to say, you know. <laughs> hey, you know what? If you live in a city and you don't love it, you should move. So I think we that all have that in us that we love where we live. And I'm sure you love San Francisco, which I love as well. But I do love New York City. <laughs> Fair enough. And it's fitting that we're in the real estate business. And if you don't love where you live, you can just simply move. That's the beauty of, of this world. We're here to help those people make those moves. Exactly. Um, so thank you for joining me again. I sincerely appreciate your time. High level, who are you and what do you do? Well, I started my career way back when uh, in the fashion industry where I owned a small company uh, while I was still at college, actually, in fashion college. And um, in between seasons, I took a vacation to New York City and decided hmm, maybe I could get a job in fashion and learn a little bit behind the scenes for a week. And then they'd fire me and I'd go back to South Africa and I'd had learned something. So I went looking for a job. I got three offers. Miraculously, one of them offered me a job where I really felt I could learn a lot, which meant I could go move to Dallas I moved to Dallas, and um, obviously back then I had watched the first 126 episodes of Dallas. I was in love with Dallas, dying to see it, and I still love Dallas. And I um, stayed for longer than a week because then I realized maybe I could get a green card, and so on and so on and so on. I did a 10-year stint in fashion. My first job I worked at for four and a half years. I started a company while I was still working um, for someone else. Did my own company for about seven years with a business partner and then um, had a midlife crisis at 30, became a musician for a year that I failed at hopelessly and entered real estate. And I've been doing it for almost a, over a quarter century since, quarter century since. That's impressive when you say it like that. Yes. And I'm a real estate agent in um, Manhattan. I focus mostly on Manhattan, uh, Brooklyn. I do a little bit of Westchester, Connecticut, Long Island, um, but mostly with uh, partners. I have a team and I've sold many, many billions of dollars worth of real estate because these days you can't speak to anyone without telling them how many billions and billions of dollars of real estate you've sold. I also joined Compass in June of 2014 as the company company's first president. Since then, of course, we've grown a wee bit. Back then we were 50 people. Today we're about 30,000. That's within eight years. Now I stepped back from the role of uh, president when we expanded into multiple territories and there are um, presidents now for each region. That's impressive. You were at Compass from the very, the, the very, very early days. Almost the beginning. As definitely when it was Compass first. Originally, it was Urban Compass, and that was an, uh, a model based on a algorithm that connected consumers to neighborhood specialists who were salaried. That model failed miserably, and that's when I stepped in and joined the company in June of 2014. It's interesting because the spirit of what you shared about you personally was, it sounds like, you're just not afraid to try things. Make decisions and make moves and move forward, and that's not dissimilar of Compass's spirit because they started in a very different direction, focusing more on you know the... The rental side now has transitioned to focus on the agent support side. Totally different model. And it, it feels like it, there's, there's a good match there. 
Definitely. And I think um, what appealed mostly to me about Robert, although there's a long list, what appealed to me mostly was that he had the ability to recognize that his original business model was failing and to respond to that quickly as opposed to the rest of the uh, real estate industry that I'd experienced for over 15 years where no one wanted to admit any wrongdoing and everyone was just so arrogant and all they could do was spoke about how great they were and how wrong everyone else was. And here I found someone who was very willing to accept that he'd made a mistake and recognized the value of high tech and high touch. And I'd always believed that um, high touch was critically important to real estate advisory, which I don't like to call it brokerage as much as it's advisory. Brokerage is just one component of it. But high touch is a critically important element, but as important back then was um, the technology investment that the real estate brokerage industry was doing was dismal. It was, a, it was terrible. And the fact that here you had people who understood technology and were willing to invest heavily into it was very, very important to me because I saw how reliant I was on it. As importantly, I also see saw that um, while everyone in the industry was competing against one another in a very kind of like small town manner, the reality was the biggest competitors were coming from outside of our industry and they were on a mission to replace us with some kind of good for the consumer product that really wasn't good for the consumer. It was exclusively focused on taking away the money and putting it into their pockets with within the guise of saying, well, do it cheaper for you. It'll be easier. When we all know this is a highly nuanced, complex, complex uh, profession that we're in, it requires advisory that starts well before a transaction occurs, during the transaction, which is very important, and then forever after the transaction. I wanted to really be part of a company that was focused on that, not only to build a great company, but also to build a movement towards elevating the profession and ensuring that our profession continued in its elevated role, because I think that's still in the best interest of the consumer. And when we rely on and focus on what's in the best interest of the consumer, everyone will be successful. I completely agree. And we are in such a high-touch industry. And if it's high-quality, high-touch, that just the spirit of that begins to elevate us. And then now having the tech on the back end to support that is so incredibly important. And I agree with you. There's other, we won't have to, we, we won't name names, but there's different brokerages and business models that they specifically go after the buyers or the sellers as their, as their customer. And then there's a different model, which we're under is the tech is there to support the agent who then supports the buyers, their buyers and sellers. And it's a very different approach for me within that is, our slogan, our mission is to lead with relationship. And then that tech, that side of it allows us to do a better job of that, which I feel is has been a complete game changer for us. Well, the technology fuels efficiencies because that has been a big issue the consumers had with agents is the guessing. Guessing is a disaster. It was a disaster in the brokerage profession. And the other big one was uh, inefficiencies just in getting the job done. And we've become so reliant on technology. And the search, 95% of people start their search online. Your technology had better be up to scratch to be able to facilitate that. So the technology is there to support the agent so that the agent can be the best servicer to the consumer, which we believe is in the best interest of the consumer because doing the tech on your own is really too much work. It is too much hassle. And let's face it, time is the last luxury. So if we can save the consumer time, we're adding real value into their world, which they're willing to pay for. I completely agree. And and there is, you can, you can absolutely cobble it together. And I've done that. It's just really expensive. And it's really difficult because you have to, you then have a CRM in one place, you have a search in another, you have your calendar somewhere else, you have your project manager. It's just all these pieces. And then you wind up having 50 more tabs than we normally have open on our computers. And we're then bogged down with with doing the minutia and not having a face-to-face conversation with the person who matters, who's the client at the end of the day. We do need to devote more time to our clients. They need FaceTime. They need voice time. And if you do not have that time, you will not be able to service the best needs of your clients. 
And that's where I think the technology really plays an important role. Just one example, you know, when I'm on the Compass app, which is like my second brain or maybe my first brain, and this is the secondary brain. <laughs> when I'm on the Compass app and I'm doing the myriad of things you can do from the palm of your hand anywhere, 365, 24-7, what amazes me is one little detail. When I notice that there's a flaw or a mistake or something that needs correcting or change, in my old life, that required going back to my email, typing it to the right person, and maybe that wasn't the right person, et cetera, et cetera. Now I take the phone, I shake it, a screen pops up, I type in the issue, I press send, and it's done. And that, to me, is invaluable. And more importantly, my client who's looking at me while I'm doing that, number one, they're impressed, but number two, they realize that what I'd done in 15 seconds frees up another 30 minutes for them. And to go back to your earlier point, it's all about efficiency. With with all realtors listening to this, we all want to do more transactions. We want to increase our price point. And the only way to really truly, truly do that easily is, is reduce cost and then increase your efficiency so you can have the time and the availability to build those quality relationships, do that lead generating activity, and get in front of those people, the, the important people for your business. And for you, you're running basically multiple businesses. You still have the team and the transactions on, on one side. And then on the other side, you're the chief evangelist for Compass. So efficiency, you you have to absolutely live by that. And in addition to the thing that I would say impresses me the most, not to say that those two are other phenomenally impressive, but you also get a newsletter out to the lot of the 30,000 agents every day. How do you do that? Well, there's efficiency and then there's insanity. I think I have a little bit of both. <laughs> Look, I am a hard worker. There's no question about that. I enjoy, I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I really became most passionate about what, what I did is when I decided to get all into real estate. And when you're all into something, it's like someone who's an artist or a composer or a finance person. When you're all into it, you love it, you don't realize you're working. Um, but I started out in June 2014 as Compass's first president. And it was a small company. It was a 50-person company. And as we expanded, the role of president changed because we needed regional man, uh, regional presidents, number one. Number two, I was never in an ad administrative or managerial role ever. It was always advisory and leading in ethics, culture, and guidance for the company uh, as to what I believed it should or could be. And that role has continued, but just with a different title when I shifted titles to um, chief evangelist, which is my corporate role that starts about 4.35 in the morning. And by 7.30, I'm done with my corporate role and then I get into my brokerage role. But I think what's very, very important is I bring to the Compass family from coast to coast a deep understanding in real time of what agents are experiencing on the street. And that is invaluable in the way I not only advise agents and managers and, uh, you know, leadership, but also with everything that we're doing at Compass, so that there's actually someone in the trenches who's actually doing the work where most um, large firms don't have that. I also think it's a very, very meaningful message that a firm like Compass would dedicate someone to elevating culture and ethics and professionalism within their company. I think that speaks highly about the culture of the company and our mission in life, which is not just to build a big, you know, wonderful company, but also to elevate the profession and be a movement towards guiding it in that which I think everyone at Compass wants it to be. I've been in various sales roles for two decades. And I would say, in my experience, the biggest disconnect I've seen with companies is when you have marketing doing their thing, you have the the whole executive team making decisions, and then you have the sales team who are trying to then figure out what the other two want to happen and, and the messages don't match. And there's all these challenges from being boots on the ground versus in the in the big corner office. And you just shared something really important earlier is when you're sitting in front of a client and there's a snafu with the technology, you simply shake your phone, you send a message and you fix it. You wouldn't have had that experience unless you were boots on the ground, which is incredibly important because then you can say with authority, listen, when I'm in this 
and having this experience, this is what I need. And now you have the ear of the people who can actually make the, the change immediately, which is profoundly different than the experience we've all had with other. I mean, even if you just buy a subscription to with another company, as I talked about piecemealing it, you don't have that one-to-one ratio. You kind of just have what you have and you work with it. Well, the other thing I would say is my memo started out actually on day one where I saw 50 people coming to me saying, how do you do this? What do you do this? What do you do? And I was like, whoa, I can't do 50 meetings a day for an hour each because there's only 24 hours in the day and we were going to grow. So I thought if I sent out a memo to the company every day, speaking to some of my experience and then maybe sharing some of the news items of the day that I felt had relevance, not only to our sphere, but also to our clients as it relates to real estate and had the potential to elevate the dialogue of what we were disseminating out into the world, that that would be meaningful. It has grown since from 50 people distribution to over 44,000 direct and now another 15,000 redirected. And it has become this really amazing connector to message that which I'm seeing daily, not from the ivory tower of an executive suite, maybe even in a state that's not even relative to where I am, but really real-time insights of what I'm seeing. And I think it speaks volumes to how we as agents deliver the greatest value to the consumer when we provide real-time insights that are non-Googleable. That to me is the future of the real estate agent because whereas a lot of people always come to me and say, Leonard, I can do all this research online. There's just so much stuff from Google. I can Google it. I can get it from this source, that source, this source. And I said, yes, get all of it. But there's so much of it. You have to edit out that which is of real value, substantive. And then most importantly, as a professional agent and advisor, it is our role to disseminate that which is pertinent and relevant to the mission or the strategy that we're trying to devise for the individual client, because that may be a one-month strategy or it might be a five-year or 10-year strategy. And I think having real-time insights is invaluable. I was reading a CNBC headline the other day and I was all excited. The CNBC headline said, this is what's happening in the housing markets today. Now, I forgive some of the other lesser media that's more salacious and into scandal and all that other stuff. This was a business website, a serious business website. Open up the link and I read it and they're quoting data that was six weeks old. Six week old data. Who anywhere in another profession relies on six week old data to make decisions that are current? And in that I think lies the greatest gift of all to agents and the consumers who work with professional agents, that those agents will have the ability to provide them with the insights and information that's current and relevant. Amen. I just literally had a conversation with somebody on my team yesterday. And that was the conversation was share information with your client that they can't just get Google. Protect your agency by giving them something they don't have. Your boots on the ground in San Francisco working this market, you have a piece of information about what's happening right now that they don't have. That's what they need. And and you're doing it, obviously, at massive scale. And it is so incredibly important for us to not only have that, but there's a tone and there's a message and there's there's a personality behind the messaging, your personality. It's not just this cold corporate letter that we're receiving. Unless AI comes and replaces me anytime soon, I'm getting scared. But I think because I make my email very personalized, it feels like a voice speaking rather than someone lecturing or, you know, pontificating. It's more like a human voice that you hear. And I really want to maintain that because that goes back to the whole concept of what Compass is all about, high tech and high touch. You have to have both. I think a separator or an important factor, I should say, with with realtors is how we interact with each other is so incredibly important. And so from top down, how you're interacting, it's giving us permission to interact differently. And and it's, I would say this environment because of that is, is highly collaborative. I can't speak for all markets, but I know my market is highly collaborative. Well, the one thing that truly amazed me early on in uh, Compass was when traveling to meet agents from different parts of the country and some traveled to New York to meet, there was one thing that really shocked me that in every part of the country, in every part of the world, 
there's a common denominator of Asians who truly share these beliefs. And until Compass came along, I think many of them felt very alone in the world and were desperately seeking an environment that truly embraced that, that didn't pit agents against one another, that truly collaborated without ego. And I know that sounds really corny, but it's really something I witness in practice every single day. It's what excites me most about the potential for Compass's future is that this culture, which is all about the people, is one that is very consistent. Everyone has their own personality. Everyone has their own style of doing business. People dress, look a different way, different ages, different price points. We love that and we ce we celebrate that. But what unites us is truly remarkable in how we all have this desire to collaborate. I think there's a uniform desire for higher ethics and honesty and uh, a sense of empathy for our clients and one another. Because this is a very interactive, collaborative business. And if you aren't, um, you know, empathetic and kind, I think you're awful. <laughs> I really do. No, I won't <laughs> boast about anything. I won't boast about anything in my career. I really won't because my mother always said, the minute you're arrogant, you're in trouble. But there's one thing I am proud of is I have sold billions and billions and billions of real estate to give people who have any doubts that you can be successful and kind and empathetic and professional and honest. That is the most important message I wish to share with newer agents and younger agents who I think get a terrible message from a lot of sources that to be this very successful agent, you have to be some kind of shock or monster or witness all these horrible practices that some agents do that we all know to be terrible but that we also know is the exact opposite of how people like yourself and many others conduct themselves on a daily basis that's very ethical and above board and are very successful. I think that's the big differentiator. People always say like, yeah, you'll be nice, you'll be kind, but you won't go anywhere. <laughs> well, you know, once you've sold billions and billions and billions of, of real estate, that argument is negated. Yes. <laughs> There's, there's definitely, we all know them. There's agents who leave a trail of broken glass behind them and there's agents that don't. And, and I try as best I can to not be the agent who leaves a trail of broken glass because at the end of the day, you don't do a transaction by yourself. You need, you need a whole team of people and that other team, big team is the agent who brought either the offer or the property or the, the one who has the property that you're writing the offer on. And so it's much easier to, to walk into a room and they know you and they like you and they, they know you're just going to do a good job and it'll be an easy transaction regardless of the hiccups. Well, the other thing I think, go back to Robert's book, No One Succeeds Alone. Very few business people with big egos would write a book with that title. <laughs> you know, most books that I've read is like, look what I did. Look how amazing I am. But we all know the power of collective effort. And we all know that pretty much everyone who's extraordinarily successful has been successful because of a lot of people doing a lot of work. And I think that title of that book is probably all you need to know about the, the culture of Compass to know that the leadership truly believes that. They don't just talk about it. They do it. And you briefly touched on the, the future, which if we just kind of look back, you've been in this business for a quarter century, which is a lot of change, a lot of technology change, a lot of adaptation and evolution. Where do you see the next, let's say, five to 10 years? Where do you see this all all going? Well, I think the consumer is becoming more and more aware that the role of the agent is not nearly as simple as they thought it was or were made to believe it was by these dreadful reality television shows that showcase an agent walking behind a client with a calculator, figuring out how much commission they're going to earn before they've even seen the property. You know, that is not the real world. It's just not the real world. And I believe over the next few years, as markets rebalance, because they're rebalancing everywhere in so many ways, geopolitically, economically, structurally, there's such an enormous rebalancing and a restructuring of so many things that's happening. It's a very, very interesting time. And I think the amateur hobby agent is 
departing. And I think the professionals who are dedicated to what they do will grow and soar. And I think more importantly, as the hobby agents, and there's some good agents who do a few deals a year and do them extraordinarily well, but there's some who just do it frivolously for quick money. And I think that's come, coming to an end if it hasn't already. That to me is possibly the best thing ever to happen to our profession because it'll elevate those who remain behind, um, not just in income, but also the fact that the average agent will be a much better quality agent, in my opinion. And I do think um, the more we can message to our client these non-Googleable insights, the more value they, will, value they will see in hiring us. Also, I think the more agents are less obsessed with the transaction and more obsessed with the client's needs long-term, whether they are in the best interest of the agent or not. It may just be you're not going to earn a commission from meeting someone. That's okay. Long-term advisory is always about the best interest of the consumer. And when the consumer genuinely feels that, you have them hooked for life and they're willing to pay for that. I mean, let's face it, hedge funds take a percentage of you know your returns every year. Agents only get paid at the time of transaction. So if you have a 20-year relationship with a client and they transact twice or three times, that's cheap. I mean, not really cheap, but it's a lot cheaper than you would assume if there's 20 years of advisory that comes along with it. Absolutely. And, and on average, on a national average, people stay in their homes for 14 years. And if we're truly leading with relationship and we're not just forcing people to transact, we're then staying in relationship for 14 years. And to your point, if you do the math on that, there, the client is getting a, an incredibly inexpensive service for that whole duration. Absolutely. I think everyone, everyone, as it relates to real estate, should be much more focused on the long term. Learn from the wealthiest, most successful real estate people in the world, and not one of them have ever focused on the next week or month. They think years and years ahead. So when I read some headlines that say, this market's going to drop 15% over the next 24 months, from the you know the price that people paid last week, why would they care? They're not selling. They're staying in their home for at least eight to fourteen years. Fourteen years on average. Why would they care what happens over the next two months, six months, twelve months, thirty-six months, five years? It almost doesn't matter. And that's where I think um, agents, sellers, buyers, renters, anyone related to real estate needs to start thinking more long-term, strategically than these short-term blips that are designed merely to create big headlines and scandal and really uh, fuel eyeballs and, and, and attract some attention. You reminded me of my qu a quote from my grandfather, who has since passed. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But, but the quote. <laughs> he basically said that you haven't gained or lost money until you sell it. And so to your point, like the, the markets change all the time and we can watch it and, and have this, this voyeuristic view at it, but it, it's not impacting the individual until they, they do a transaction. And more often than not, clients just want to know what's happening. Unfortunately, the, the data that we have is most properties that require financing take at least 30 days to close. So most all reports are baked in. They're, they're already a month old. And so if we could give them information that's younger than that, that's job security. And it's not forcing them to, to transact. I feel for me, the big shift in this mindset for me, what it helped tremendously was understanding my personal finances and running the business like a business and then having budgets and knowing my budgets. And then this way, I'm not focused on the dollars and cents to survive and as, as like a survival mechanism, it pulled all this stress out of me. And so now I can sit with a client and not have this, this demon on my shoulder. Like you got to close this deal. You have to make, you know, you have to make all your mortgage payments and salaries and all this stuff. And it, it shifted. And, and I would say that was profoundly changed the way that I viewed this business and relationships and the anxiety I had going into it. In 2016, I was supposedly the number one agent in the USA on the Wall Street Journal Real Trends list. I had, I had, I had a lucky year. I had one year where we sold, I think, close to $700 million and close $700 million worth of real estate, which was a phenomenal year. It didn't happen overnight. 
a phenomenal year, once in a lifetime thing. But you know what? That was the last year I uh, said I would participate in those rankings because I cannot view my career on a year to year, quarter to quarter basis. Yes, I do have an eye towards that because I think that's important. And you've, you know, if costs and expenses, you've got to eat. But I think most importantly, when it comes to career growth, it has to be viewed over two or three years. What happens if by December 31st, you've had a really bad year? And in January, the following year, you close more in one month than you did in the prior eight months combined. So why are you viewing it year by year? It almost seems um, painful. And I do think um, we're in a very competitive environment. A lot of people do quote their sales results. And I understand that because when I was growing my career, I also want to say I sold a lot. People want to work with successful people. There's no doubt of that. But I feel I don't see many surgeons or accountants or lawyers running around saying, I earned $3.5 million last year. Uh, I don't like that. I think we could speak to our successes, but when it comes to calculating dollars and rankings, ugh, not my thing, but you look, hats off to people who have achieved enormous successes. I think you have to celebrate successes. I just like elegant celebrations. And I think um, when you celebrate your successes, you've got to take out a little bit of ego and arrogance and promote them in a manner that is uh, befitting to your personal brand. We recently put out a team brochure, probably about six months ago. And it's funny, as a team, we deliberated on this. Should we put our stats on there? Should we put how many transactions do we had? Should we do our transactional sales volume? And where we landed was we put how many families we helped. That's it. And that's what, for the whole team, everybody said collectively, this feels good. And, and that's what we, that's our position. And, and it goes back to our mission is if we lead with relationship genuinely, it changes us. And, and we, we have a different target. Of course, of course, this is a business and every business needs money to survive. Otherwise we have a very, very expensive hobby and that's not what we want. But uh, the nuances in our language, I, I feel is incredibly important. Well, you know, I'm in Manhattan, which is ultra competitive and everyone in Manhattan broadcasts from the hilltops with a megaphone, how much they've sold. And for some, I, I get it. I understand that, but. I don't like it. And I've learned, though, that by there were one or two years where I removed any mention of that. And it worked against me. It really, really worked against me. And I've had to, in my bio, put in that I've sold, I say, three billion, more than $3 billion worth of real estate. It's significantly higher than that. But I feel guilty almost to have to put in a number. And yet, if you don't, this, you have a problem with some clients, not all clients. But some clients, they want to see something impressive, and it usually starts with a B. <laughs> I can absolutely see that. And, and, it, and that goes to the client. It's what's important to them, and how does it, what's the thing that's driving them? In, in an inflationary world, billion is the new million. <laughs> that's true. I feel like every agent has in their signature also uh, top agent and luxury in some capacity. And number one. I'm number, number one. one. <laughs> I'm number one. I would rather put number two still fighting like I'm number one. <laughs> well, you know, but I have to tell you something. I know of people who way early in their careers lied about being number one. And they did so often enough that some people believed it and they became number one. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's awful. And I, it's a message I really hope doesn't resonate with anyone because I think Ultimately, truth does um, triumph. And ultimately, look, I'm talking about them. I don't want to mention names, of course, although it's tempting. But I do think ultimately that sticks with you then for life that you aren't honest. Personally, I would much rather just be proud of what I'm doing and what I've built. And show what you've sold. Show beautiful properties that you've sold. But it doesn't have to be a calculation of how much you've sold necessarily. I think showcasing a lot of sales of beautiful homes with happy buyers and sellers and renters and landlords and developers, that to me is achievement. Yeah. And, and not for nothing. Well, neither one of us. We didn't show up this way. Like We didn't have a family lineage of brokers and, and we just kind of followed suit. I was reading your bio somewhere and I heard that you were born and raised in Cape Town and came to the U.S. with with only about $3,000 in your pocket. So it wasn't, it wasn't like you had 
this huge base and network to build from. It's that was the ground up. Well, I was very fortunate because, yes, I can repeat that story that I came with virtually nothing. People have come with a lot less. More importantly, I came with an education and skills. I did grow up in a well-to-do family and had a very wonderful life, except when I left, my parents were like, good luck. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like they handed me on a silver platter that which they might have been able to. But I think in that you learn disciplines that you just cannot learn in a book. I remember being at one point, you know, stuck with $18,000 legal bills to get my green card at a grocery store with a calculator trying to divide up how I could get X number of meals out of a box of rice. You know, that discipline, I would say, is probably the greatest gift ever given to me in life because it has instilled in my DNA now the ability to see the big picture as it's happening and always to be a little bit wary of you know, being conservative around uh, finances. Very, very helpful. Extremely helpful. It was interesting, but I grew up on both sides. As my father was an entrepreneur, started a company when I was very young, built it successfully and eventually sold it uh, recently. And then my mother, after the divorce, I we grew. I lived on a, a third floor walk up, a really like horrible spot. So I, I grew up poor on one side and 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 well on the other. And so I run my business on the conservative side for sure. But when I came to San Francisco, I, I barely had two nickels to rub together. It was, you know, from, from the ground up, just being resourceful. But I feel like being resourceful is that'll get you out of anything. If you just put your head down and do the work, you can climb out of any, virtually any situation. Well, those circumstances are akin to life boot camp. And if everyone went through life boot camp really early in life, imagine how much better their lives would be. I really feel pity often for some of my wealthiest clients, kids, who whose parents feel extreme guilt at not having been around much during their youth and to compensate, provide them with unlimited access to money. And in doing so, deprive them of the ability to learn life lessons that are just invaluable, just invaluable. I've seen, I remember my parents' house that they bought, this incredibly wealthy family. And I always used to tell my dad, look at them. They have, they had a Rolls Royce, a Lamborghini Espada, that beautiful sleek, this was the 70s, beautiful Lamborghini that imported Mercedes. And they were like living this high life. And I said, why can't we drive cars like that? He said, they're going bankrupt. Just watch them. And sure enough, three years later, they were bankrupt. <laughs> you know? Oh my goodness. So it was less like, ooh, maybe if you have cars like that, that's, that can lead to trouble. That's a great lesson. Yeah. Know your, know your finances. <laughs> know your finances. Keep them in check. Always have savings. I always encourage my um, first lesson coming to the United States was I've got to build up savings because when you have savings, you have the ability to make more calm, rational choices and decisions. And I feel terribly for those who don't have savings. And some people cannot amass savings. And that leads to desperate decisions and all sorts of painful, painful things that often take years to undo, if at all. At the heart of entrepreneurship, it's have enough money to keep funding this dream, whatever it is. And and to your point, if you don't have that base or an access to, to a base of funds, Build it and have it and, and then manage it, manage it well, because then you can take these risks in your business and you're not actually risking your business. And make a few sacrifices. You know, I think one thing that has um, permeated in the last few years is a lot of uh, sense of entitlement. Like, I'm entitled to this now. I was like, oh, I used to think that way. And then I realized it ain't happening. So what I did was I had to make certain cuts. I worked two jobs at a time. I did all sorts of things to achieve what I wanted to achieve through hard work and a little bit of sacrifice. And the the rewards feel so much better when you do that. So I encourage anyone who wants to build a career, know that sometimes you have to invest early, um, painfully to get there. It's not going to be quick, easy and simple, but dedicated consistency and repetition, a little bit of sacrifice and really hard work more than likely will deliver the results you're seeking. So if a brand new agent listening to this, let's say they're a year or two into the business, what would be the one 
piece of advice that you would share with them? Unfortunately, this is a question that's asked of me a lot, and I don't have one answer. I have a hundred. This is the thing in real estate. It is not that simple. There's no magic trick. And if you have a long checklist of things you do every single day, many of which will appear rather boring or dull, chances are you will succeed. If you're looking for one magical moment, that's elusive. It has happened to some. It usually happens to those who have extraordinary contacts or just one massive lucky break. But usually the luck happens successfully to those who are prepared for it. And my response to that is, instead of giving you a three-minute answer to that, do you have two hours? And then I will break down all the stuff you have to do that you and I do on a daily basis that we think about, that we evolve, reevaluate, improve, make better, do differently. That is the basis of a career in real estate that has legs. And every agent I've ever spoken to has one thing in common. They have one thing in common. January 1st rolls around and they're all a little bit paranoid and anxious. I'll never do what I did last year. What am I going to do? And that drives people to think more, work harder, be more creative, and a whole wave of things that I think is kind of wonderful. Because usually that means there's a lack of arrogance. And when there's a lack of arrogance, all other good things are more than likely going to happen. I think Tony Robbins said this, when things are going good, we tend to party. And when things go bad, we tend to ponder. And come January 1st, we ponder. <laughs> I always have a bit of a hangover from all the parties. Exactly. <laughs> but it's a good time, actually, to sit down and evaluate. I always like thinking January 1st on December 15th. I like to get a two-week head start. And I think um, planning and thinking and reading and relearning and re-educating and keeping yourself really up to date. But I think for anyone to be truly good at what they do, they should be passionate about what they're doing. Now, that's different from saying, follow your passion. Because some people always say, like, if you like making hats, go and make hats. What happens if you're really bad at making hats? <laughs> you know, the best... Most passionate careers usually are a result of people doing well at something. So if a kid does a beautiful painting and mom comes up and says, look at this painting, you're really talented. Wow, that kid gets passionate about what they're doing. So I think sometimes the reverse is a better way of building a career. Find out what you're really good at and then dig deep into it. And that'll fuel your passion for it. I like that nuance. There's That's a nice nuance is... And be passionate about the thing that you're doing. And, and that goes back to your newsletter and, and the spirit of a lot of little pieces that you've shared is it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be consistent and you have to keep moving it forward day after day after day after day. And to do that, like to sit down and write a newsletter every single day, if you're not passionate about it, that newsletter is just going to downward spiral of like, I hate doing this. I don't want to be sitting here typing this. This is sucking up all my time. And it's that's worse than than anything else. But, you know, I live now by the belief and it's one of my favorite sayings. 80 percent is grady percent. Don't aim for perfection. You can try. But if you. If that prevents you from getting the work done or getting things concluded and getting it out into the, into the world, then it is a hindrance. That is a handicap. So perfection to me is one of the world's greatest handicaps. 80% is greater percent is really pretty darn good. And it has room for improvement if you get it out into the world. So everything I do is not perfect. Slightly imperfect, anywhere from zero to 20%. I try and make things at least 80% perfect. But when you read my daily email, you will see some typos. I'll misspell someone's name. This morning, I did it again. And I know this person. I had lunch with them a few weeks ago. I'm sitting across. The, you know, you make mistakes. It's okay. In fact, mistakes are human. Human resonates with other humans. And I think 80% is greater percent is the perfect way to live life that you aren't going to be perfect. We're all fallible. We make mistakes. When we make mistakes, we correct them. And that to me is an easier way to live life and enjoy it. The alternative is to aim for perfection, put out what you think is perfection, and then discover that maybe there are other versions of perfect that you didn't assume. <laughs> That's depressing. 
or it's exciting. I mean, when you put something out that 80% and it's not what you deem, if you spend all this time to deem it perfect and then you put it out and you get any piece of feedback, that hurts. It hurts your, it's, it's painful because you had the expectation that this hit the mark. But if you put it out knowing darn well, it's 80%. You almost welcome 20% feedback. Like you welcome it because you know it's not there. And so when somebody says, oh, you had a typo, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I totally fumbled that. I will correct it on the next one. Now, let me just tell you something. When it comes to 80% is greater percent, in facts, there's no such thing as 80%. Fact is fact, and that has to be 100% accurate. So I think there is one distinction where if you are sending out some information, it can't be just like, oh, it's 80% kind of right. That's good enough. That's not good enough. So when it comes to facts and figures, you have to be pretty darn close to 100%. But that's not seeking perfection. That's just simply being accurate. And that's where the technology comes in to help you. And knowing my spell check and my calculator, they are my second and third brains without which I would not be able to do what I do. And that's a very good distinction. Right? And I appreciate I appreciate saying it 80% and getting corrected to 20% <laughs> on that. Um, you're right, especially in this industry. Like we have to, if we're sourcing a piece of information, it's if, unless it has to, it has to be accurate. Well, you know what? I look, I look at my um, Zillow Zestimate of my next door neighbor. I have a weekend house up in Greenwich. And on Zillow, the Zestimate says it's worth $290,000. If my neighbors saw this, they would cry. They paid, I think, $18 million for the house. And they've put in another, like, I don't know how many million more. And Zillow says it's worth $290,000. And by the way, that has been on Zillow for two years. So I thought at first, oh, maybe it's an error and they'll correct it. Data has to be accurate. Data has to be accurate. There's no excuse. That's funny. A, a few years ago, I took a screenshot of it, but uh, on Zillow, the White House was on there <laughs> with with an estimate. I'm like, come on, you guys, really? That's the best you can do? Terrible. I didn't realize you had a home in Connecticut. That's where I was born and raised. Yeah, Greenwich is a beautiful part of the world. And miraculously, I just read today that, you know, millionaires have been migrating. And the obvious assumption is that they're all migrating to low tax states, which is partially true. Austin and Miami and um, West Palm Beach have pulled in a huge volume of millionaires. But the fifth largest location that is attracting millionaires is Greenwich, Connecticut. Believe it or not, which is not a super low tax state at all, but has extraordinary schools, is 45 minutes from Manhattan, so you have all the cultural aspects of Manhattan, and um, it's a beautiful place to live. But it's interesting that it's not only about taxes. Sometimes people are willing to pay the price for extraordinary education, beautiful environment, a bit more, um, maybe a little bit more of a restraint to wealth, so it's not like too gilded, although there's some pockets. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful, especially throughout the seasons. And it's a nice escape from New York or, or Boston, which is also in close proximity. Yeah, beautiful. And it's commutable, which is very interesting because they have a very good train service. You literally walk out of the train station in the town of Greenwich, where now there's a Jean George restaurant. So it's not like you're, you know, going to the pancake house. <laughs> you know, there's some great restaurants. There's extraordinary shopping. You could look like you're off the runway from Paris. It's, Pretty amazing that you have this unique mix, and yet it's understated and not flashy. So I think it has a pocket and a, a group of people who really appreciate that. So you're lucky you grew up here. Yeah, Connecticut's an absolutely beautiful place. And I think that's an interesting within our industry because we have the ability to create all of this, these wonderful referrals and to connect with people on a national level. Because if we are in relationship with our clients and they do raise their hand and they're they're saying, oh, we're thinking about buying a second home and here's where we're looking. It's amazing to be able to pick up my phone, type in a location, scroll through incredibly quick and find a top tier agent literally within seconds. And the best part of that is you are looking for the agent that is best suited to your client, 
not the agent that maybe you have a friendship with or that is paying you some extra something under the table. This is specifically connecting them to an agent that reflects your values and professionalism that is best suited to the consumer's needs, not yours. And there are multiple tech entities now that are doing these connected things, but it's all pay to play. And it's only those who pay XYZ per XYZ who can participate. That's not in the best interest of the consumer. It's not. And you, and to your point, depending on the client, they, they have a personality, they have experiences, they have specific wants and needs. And it is so, so incredibly important that we do play matchmaker and we make sure if they're going to be spending time with this agent, looking at properties and talking to them, that that agent actually is going to melt with them and look out for their best interest. Because at the end of the day, it blows back on me, the individual, because if that agent is the shark in air quotes and is just trying to slam them into the first property they see, that feedback is going to come back to me and that reflects me as an individual. And that's, that's not good. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think that whenever you associate yourself with anyone in a profession, whoever they are, whatever they are, is a direct reflection of who you are. Absolutely. Yeah, we have to. Anybody we refer out in any capacity, vendors, colleagues, we thoroughly vet them. And more often than not, it's me having a personal conversation and just double checking, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's and making sure that when you hand off your client to that person, it's going to be a good experience. I also think the compass barrier of entry is so much higher that it automatically will deliver a certain quality of agent. But I think when, you com when you're connecting uh, consumers to agents, a lot of it has to do with personality as well as proficiency and efficiencies and suitability to the type and uh, location of the property. But all of that matters, and I think all have to be considered. And if we save our clients time, they'll love us for it. I always say time is the last luxury. <laughs> The wealthier you are, the less time you have. You have to use more of your time to make more money. Very, very, um, very, very true that time is the one commodity I think we all learned, especially in the last three years, is the one thing we have less and less and less of. That is very true. And, and as I age, it seems to go much faster. <laughs> the day just flies by. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I, I, I really, it's really painful, you know. Um, the worst is when you have uh, friends with kids. These kids are the perfect reminder of how quickly time passes. It's wild when you, yeah, it, you feel like, oh, it's been two weeks and you pop over to their house for dinner and you're, and they're like two feet taller and <laughs> you're just like, you're like, what happens? It was two weeks, right? <laughs> Unreal. So we kind of touched on what piece of advice to give to agents granted i don't feel it was the best the best question i could have asked let me try a different approach because i i do feel there's uh, there's going to be a large amount of agents who are just cutting their teeth in this business and trying to figure out if you reflect back on when you entered the business is there something in your earlier days that you I don't want to say wish had done differently, but if you had the opportunity to have done differently, would you have approached something or an aspect of your business just slightly different than you had? 100% yes. The first thing I would have done is I would have joined a team. Back when I started, teams didn't really exist. I was one of the first people um, in my world to start a team, actually. And um, it started out as a part, started out with me as with an assistant and then a partner. And then it grew from there. But I would have joined a team because the one thing I, I would say everything I learned in real estate, I learned from other agents and their experience. So being around experienced ethical agents is the ultimate apprenticeship. And I believe we undervalue apprenticeships and we should place much greater emphasis on this because I think it's an unusual form of apprenticeship. It's kind of a wonderful form of apprenticeship to be in a position where you can earn a living and be apprenticing and learning on a daily basis. But there is a language of real estate that applies to the way you speak, write, 
look, work, learn everything that can be learned much faster, much more effectively within a team. So I think that's very valuable. Or the other thing I would have done is I might have been an assistant to an, a, a top-notch agent to really learn. You know, a little bit of boot camp goes a long way in any profession. And I think the way I started, where at times I was just staring at a screen pretending I was doing something, but I had no idea what to do. That's terrible, where someone could say, you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing this. So a lot of the um, guidance I received over the years to get my career going was forged out of my past experience, because I think having a past career where I ran a company and I was in design and I had you know some world experience that always can be applied to a next career, I wish I'd had day-to-day boot camp with a team or a partner or a boss showing me the ropes. And also, if they were not the best at what they did, understanding what they did well and understanding what they didn't do well to know where maybe in the future I could improve. But I think that to me was the biggest miscalculation I had. I don't have had that many options, but I think that would have been the smarter thing to do. I feel having had so much sales experience prior to getting into real estate, I got lucky in that aspect, but I didn't understand the nuances of the conversations around real estate, researching the data, pulling the data, the day-to-day in real estate. Though my first year I got incredibly lucky. My first San Francisco transaction was for two and a half million. I felt incredibly blessed and lucky, but I, I feel like I leaned on my my sales experience of to understand how to navigate a conversation and to deal with the negotiation and things like that. But I genuinely had no idea what I was actually doing. And had I was had I been able to shadow somebody, especially somebody who I wanted to model, if I wanted to be, for example, in to do high volume, then I would have surrounded myself with a high volume agent. Or if I wanted to be a an ultra luxury level agent then surround myself with with an ultra luxury agent who's actually performing so this way you understand the nuances of those conversations but you pick up things by being around it day in and day out which i feel which is the thread of this whole conversation that's efficiency you you can speed up so many pieces of your learning just by having that person to text say, hey, I was hit with this question. How do I approach it? I do think um, uh, the first four years of my career would have been condensed into one year had I done that. But I got lucky as well. You know, I was in downtown Manhattan when downtown Manhattan was much, much, much more casual. And I identified identified myself as a loft specialist. And I promoted the concept that if you wanted to have 12-foot ceilings and big rooms on Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue, chances are you'd have to be very, very, very wealthy, whereas downtown, you could have all of that in a different price point. And I think that resonated well, and I became semi-specialized in the loft world. And I think specialization is a good way to enter into any market, although something tells me today I'd much rather want to understand all the markets before choosing. <laughs> and um, these days I sell lofts and townhouses, uptown, downtown, you know, the works. Um, and I sell luxury, but I think luxury is an overused word, although it's the best word still to describe what we do. What I do differentiate is that luxury is not just a price point. Luxury is the experience. And I do believe Every client deserves to be treated as such, that this is a luxurious moment of their lives. It's nerve wracking. It's a lot of money to pretty much everyone buying a home and it needs to be treated seriously and made the, the experience should be made to feel wonderful. I completely agree. I think luxury is, is, is overused and I often feel it's, it's incorrectly defined. And I 100% agree that it is luxury is an experience. It's a very different experience to walk into a mall jewelry store and look at a piece of jewelry versus walking into Tiffany's and having the door open for you in a personalized, it's a very completely different experience. And that's a luxury experience. And I, I feel having the time as an agent to hand curate the experience for the client is so incredibly important. And to, to actually stack that back into if an agent is new and they start working with an agent, 
to shadow and learn from, they can then figure out very quickly, is this a niche that I want to get into and stay in, or do I want to evolve somewhere else rather than trying to blaze the path for themselves, spend all this time and money getting there and, and then realizing that's not actually where you want to be. I also think the Tiffany experience is a very healthy one to look at because the consumer buying a $120 key ring is not getting too dissimilar an experience as someone buying a $1.2 million diamond. And I think that speaks to luxury better than anything, that the experience of shopping at Tiffany's is the experience we should generate in um, the real estate environment as well. And I, I do believe a lot of agents get it really right. I would agree. And I feel certain brokerages attract <laughs> the Tiffany Louis Vuitton Prada level and, and others simply don't. And it's markets are very different. Brokerages are very different. Offerings are different. It's, it's just a very different world. And I, I feel the, the beauty is as agents, we have the auto autonomy of choice and we can choose and, and pick who we want to work with and be around. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about this business. Well, I love the Compass brand in that it speaks to a different kind of luxury. Because I think in the past and the other brands that I speak to a very kind of like gilded luxury or a flashy luxury. To me, Compass is the luxury brand of the next generation of luxury. And that doesn't apply to age. That applies to mentality, whether it's a 19-year-old or a 90-year-old. Oftentimes, the 90-year-old is younger thinking than the 19-year-old. But um, it is that next generation of luxury that is pure, clean, simple, to the point, fact-oriented. And it's very much um, human and high-tech interfused so that it feels like you are getting the best of all worlds, not just one or the other. And what's interesting is luxury evolves. Luxury in the 80s was gold bracelets and necklaces and a little on the gaudy side and flashy cars and big houses. Whereas luxury now is, especially in the, the Bay area, it's ath athleisure. Is it ath what is it? Athletic leisure, um, hoodies. Sometimes people have flashy cars more often than you just take Uber and they have really nice homes, but the real true luxury is the ability to buy organic food and to go to Pilates class and to skip town on the weekends. That's, that's where luxury is, has evolved to currently. And I feel having a brand, your brand as, as the individual agent and the brokerage brand supporting that image, that's important. Well, it's interesting. You know, many years ago, I was known as the luxury loft team. And I was arrogant in believing that thousands of people, you know, would recognize who I am. And I did get some recognition. There's no question about it. But it's astounding to me the difference now when I wear a Compass t-shirt or a hoodie or I have something Compass branded on me. Millions of people instantly know what Compass is and what it means. And the value to me being associated with that brand is just immeasurable because it has opened up so many conversations where if I just had a t-shirt with my name on it. People wouldn't care. Maybe a few people would recognize who I am, but it's, it's infinitesimal next to the volume of people that understand what Compass as a brand means and the association as me building my own brand for real estate uh, marketing and sales and uh, advisory is just invaluable. It's funny because my, my brain is going in all different directions, but it, it all fits cohesively together. You know, the, the way the app works, the way the experience is the just the the various layers of it all and most of us have had experiences with with other brokerages and other agents and compass does cohesively pull it together not perfect never perfect and that's good because you always want to be improving and you never want to get arrogant that you know we're the best i hate saying we're the best there's no such thing I think the important thing is to constantly be focused on improving what we're doing, making it better, and keeping an eye on shifting trends and needs so we cater to them rapidly. That's a better definition of best, is to be able to evolve and morph as new needs arise, rather than hitting that best threshold and then getting stuck there and then antiquated with how fast things are moving, you'll be antiquated in a couple of years with just one new piece of technology coming out. 
Well, every industry and every profession evolves constantly. Why should real estate not be the same? I mean, I remember a time when I would go to real estate meetings and they looked like a bake sale from 1953. It's just, you know, you've got to evolve. The consumer is looking to us to be the same as a Tesla or a Mercedes or, you know, whatever the product might be, that this is not stuck in time, that this is evolving and keeping up with the times and delivering the, the best possible experience of the time. A hundred percent. I mean, we all, not everybody, but if you've interacted with a luxury brand, you have an expectation. When you show up to a meeting with a client, they have an expectation, especially if you have that word associated with it. And so it's it, your point. It can't look like a bake sale. It has to look like an elevated experience. Like it, it has to genuinely fit the part, which then fits into who you are as a brand, which then fits into the, the brokerages and and then then they can form a full decision as to how to best proceed because nine times out of ten if you're if you're bidding on a listing you're going against three to five other agents and so you darn well better be able to separate yourself from that pack in some capacity well when we started out building compass um you know 2014 or so um there was this terrible question that was asked all the time. Where's the revolution? And my answer to that was, do you really want a revolution? Because a revolution is probably what our competitors outside of the industry want, which is like to, you know, slash and burn. And there'll be a lot of death and carnage and blood and gore and guts on the street. That's a revolution. I don't like revolutions. But I believe when you do evolutionary improvements day in, day out over weeks and months and years, at the end, where we are right now, which is, you know, 10 years later, you have these evolutionary steps that add up to revolutionary change, revolutionary improvement without all the carnage. And I think that's really what has happened in our industry, that you have had over many years now so much improvement and change that we are actually evolving now at a pace that we should be. That is such an elegant way to to, to say that. Um, I actually think that is the the absolute perfect way to end cap this episode is evolution versus revolution. Evolutionary steps over extended periods of times are the best kind of revolutions. They are. They're subtle and very effective. Leonard, I sincerely appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to experience your newsletter? You just email ls at compass.com subscribe. Just put in the subject line, subscribe, ls at compass.com. Happy to add you to the distribution. Easy enough. Again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.